Welcome, welcome everyone. It's so great to be here with you today. I appreciate, I always appreciate this opportunity that Roger gives me to, to preach and to proclaim the gospel. It is a special treat for me. And so I appreciate you uh, uh, being patient with me and, um, and not falling asleep, but that's another story. Anyway, so we're in the series of the book of Revelation. And so it's been a great series so far, and we're only to chapter three. Can you amaze it? We're only to chapter three. At this rate, we'll be done in 2025, although Jesus will come back before then. All right, so, no, I'm just kidding. Anyway, we're in a series of Revelation. Today, we're in Revelation chapter 3. We're talking about the church in Sardis. Uh, Bob, last week, talked about Thyatira. This week, we are in uh, Revelation chapter 3, um, and so uh, that's where we'll be at. I, I like to start with fun stuff. Um, uh, that's just how I like to do things. You know, you all know that by now. And so, um, uh, if you were to ask people about death or dying, you're probably going to get some amazing answers, especially if you ask children. Okay, this is what it is. Um, but you all may have seen this before, but it's kind of fun. First off, the hospital is the place where people go on their way to heaven. I mean, that makes sense, right? He's eight years old. I mean, this makes sense. Just remember that the next time you go to the hospital. All right, number two, a good doctor can help you so you won't die. A bad doctor sends you to heaven. And so, I mean, that's just common sense, right? <laughs> it's just common sense. At least he sends you to heaven. All right, um, doctors help you so you won't die until you pay all of their bills. Uh, so Stephanie, she knows, she's perceptive. She knows what she's talking about. Anyway, I, I always like to start with fun stuff. I do it at weddings, but I also do it at funerals. As a matter of fact, I start almost all the funerals I do with something along these lines. And I think it's a good thing, especially for a funeral of a believer, right? Um, I think some laughter brings healing. Um, the Bible tells us that, right? And so a little levity, and I think it helps us just to celebrate a person's life. Because, you know, when a believer dies, there's, there's, some, there's still some hope in the room. You all have been to the difference, or been to funerals, wherever the, the person wasn't a believer, and it's just like despair, right? And then you go to a funeral of a believer, and the people, there's hope, there's peace, there's even some joy, and I'm not saying joy that they're gone, but the joy of the Lord you know, just is in the room because now we know our friend, our loved one is with Jesus forever, right? And so there's, there's a bit of a celebration of life that happens um, when we had a funeral or of a believer. And so I like to start with fun stuff. The thing is this though, when a church dies, there's no hope, there's no peace, there's no joy, there's no celebration. And unfortunately here lately, churches have been dying all around us, all around this nation, all around the world. And that's what we're gonna look at today. The thing is though, is uh, the North Star, it's like, uh, from what I understand, 323 light years away from Earth. I don't know how to put that in this uh, distance other, uh, other than to say 323 light years. The thing about that is this, if that star were to shop, stop shining right now, right? If that star were to burn out right this moment, we would not know it for another 323 years. And I tell you that because there's a lot of churches that are already dead and they don't even know it. That was the condition of the church in Sardis. As a matter of fact, Jesus calls them the dead church. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Now, what we want to learn is how to avoid going down that road, right? We want to finish well as individuals, and we want to finish well as a church and as believers. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's start reading. In Revelation chapter 3, we'll start in verse 1. It says this, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God. That could also be sevenfold spirits of God, referencing the Holy Spirit, and the seven stars, which is the pastors. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast or hold firmly to it. Uh, some versions say keep it. Um, and repent. 
But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Anytime Jesus references coming like a thief, it's referencing judgment, okay? Um, and then going on, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes, meaning they still are honoring the Lord. They're living godly lives, holy lives before God. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the reading of your word today. God, you're absolutely amazing and awesome, and we give you praise. I thank you for this opportunity for us to meet in the name of Jesus and to glorify you and to lift high uh, your name. And so, Father, we just give you praise today. I pray that this word would take root and bear fruit in our lives. God, we're hungry and more thirsty for you, and so speak to us in this time as we've given it to you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here is an artist's rendering of the city of Sardis. Um, And so you can see there's a valley up there on the mountain. There would have been like a fortress of some sorts where the city would have retreated to whenever they were under attack. This is, uh, the the city came into existence for sure by 700 BC, okay? And it was a very wealthy city. It was the the center of the Lydian kingdom at the time. And uh, they were along the Pactolus River. And uh, apparently there was a lot of gold and silver that was found along that river. And so uh, I believe this was the first place they minted coins, gold and silver coins were first minted here at the city of Sardis. So they had a lot of wealth, a lot of power. Um, and so there was lots of great things happening in the city by, by that point, uh, by, the, by that standard. Um, this is the Temple of Artemis. This is the ruins today. This is the Temple of Artemis. They would have had a false god, an idol, or, or a, you know, a god for the city. And this is specifically the one they worshipped. And up there in the distance, see that mountain? That is where that citadel, where that fortress was, right up on top of that mountain. It looks different today because of earthquakes and different things, but that's where that fortress would have been. Here's another picture. This is from the mountain looking down onto the city. Um, and you can see the, the big building there. That's the gymnasium. I'll show you another picture of that. But you can see where the Temple of Artemis was, some other uh, remains that are there. The, dis- the city that's there now, off in the distance, that is the, the city of Sart, or the town of Sart. It's a very small town. And from what I understand, there are no known believers in the town of Sart to this day. Uh, it is there in, in uh, Turkey. And so this is about 60 miles east of Ephesus, I believe. And so uh, here is the gymnasium, and this is where they had like public baths and, and other things. There would have been a lot of activity happening in this building. It's amazing that it survived to this day. And then finally, here's the synagogue. And this synagogue is a little bit significant um, in that um, typically whenever they built synagogues, they built them on the edge of the city, okay? They, 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 they would, on the outskirts of town is where they would have built the synagogue. This synagogue is right square, smack dab in the middle of the city. And so that tells us the Jewish people of that day, of that city, a lot of wealth, a lot of power, and a lot of influence because they built their synagogue right in the middle of the city. That's the situation of which we find the church of Sardis. We don't know when this church started. We don't know who started this church. Was it Paul? Was it John? Was it one of their disciples? As I said, we don't know exactly when this church began, but by now it's probably been in existence for a good 30 or 40 years. And that's kind of a sad thing considering they're only 30 or 40 years old and they've already fallen so far, Jesus calls them dead. So an interesting thing Jesus says, he says, you have a reputation of being alive. So from the member's perspective... They said, yes, good church, 
right? Probably activity still happened. They probably still met together on the Lord's Day and, and uh, maybe sang some songs. And they probably had, um, you know, uh, Bible studies going on. They probably had uh, their, um, they call them festivals or fellowship feasts where they would get together and eat together. And they probably still celebrated communion and those type of things. And so by all accounts, members are like, oh yeah, it's a good church. It's a good church, right? But Jesus writes the letter to the church. He says, you guys are dead. See, because he could see to the core. He could see to the heart. And he saw that their hearts were far from him. And so Jesus says, the church is dead. Now, one thing that we need to learn from this, first and foremost here, is we need to make sure uh, as a church we never confuse activity with the anointing of God because not every activity is a sign of life. So just because a church has a lot of activity, it does not mean that it's roaring and raring and going for the Lord, okay? Activity. I, I think about a church I just heard about a couple of weeks ago. Um, they're in a different state, but uh, the church was in decline. Uh, but the thing is, they had a lot of money. The church had a lot of money in the bank. And so there's probably 10, 15 members still coming at this point. And so what they would do is, since they had money in the bank, every Wednesday night, they would have, uh, before Bible study, they'd have a catered meal. <laughs> Every Wednesday night, they'd have a catered meal. Now, there, I there's nothing sinful about having a catered meal, right? But the problem was, it wasn't to reach out to the community, invite people in. It was simply so that they could enjoy some nice food. Then they would have some Bible study, about five minutes of Bible study. Somebody would say a prayer, and they would all go home. Now, to that church, I'm sure they were active and things happened. But God would say, in my estimation, God may say it's dead. And so just because things are active does not necessarily mean there's life in the church. All right, so the question is this. The question in my mind is, how did they die? When I used to work for Seed Off Distributing, I was a trucking company, and I worked in the safety department. Um, matter of fact, I was a safety manager. And so anytime there was an accident, first off, I was the one who got the call. But one of the things that I had to do was I had to figure out the cause of the accident so that we could prevent it from happening again, right? That's the whole goal is to prevent accidents, because first off, you don't want to hurt anybody, right? But second of all, you got to protect the company. And so we always had this root cause analysis. And so we would dig in and try to figure out why the accident happened. In this case, we want to know why did this church die? How did this happen? Now, the Bible doesn't tell us specifically what happened in this church. But I think we can make some fair assumptions. First off, I'll tell you what will kill a church, and that's sin. Sin will kill a church. Sin destroys lives. Sin destroys everything it touches. Sin destroys lives. Sin destroys families. Sin destroys churches. Sin destroys communities. Sin destroys nations, right? We're seeing it happen right before our very eyes. Sin brings destruction. Now, it could have been the leaders who were involved in sin. It could have been the members who were involved in sin. It could have been both. It could have been sins of commission, which is when people uh, deliberately sin against God, right? Get involved in immorality or un other ungodly things. Or it could have been sins of omission, meaning they no longer were doing the things that they were supposed to do, and that's make disciples. Remember, Jesus told us that the Great Commission, in the Great Commission, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. That's what our Lord and Savior, Jesus, told us to do. And it wasn't that he told the preachers to do it. It wasn't that he told the science school teachers to do it. He told all of us. So every one of us in this room who names the name of Jesus has a responsibility to make disciples and to share the gospel. Well, this church, by this point, they didn't have an outreach program, I suspect. As a matter of fact, we never read of them being facing suffering or persecution. And so that tells us one thing. The church would probably become so worldly they were no longer a threat to the community. And so the community didn't need to persecute them. And so what a sad state of affairs. 
And so you could see, it could be, I was thinking about this too, it could be like there's a, a we, we see kind of a degradation in these churches here in the book of Revelation. First you had Ephesus, right? What was the word that was given to them? You've left your first love, meaning you've stopped loving Jesus first and foremost. And then you get to the church at Pergamum, and what happened to that church? They were involved in compromise. So they had compromised with the world. You get to the church of Sardis, and they're dead. And it's almost like you can see the sliding scale. You leave Jesus First and foremost, you stop loving Jesus. First and foremost, you begin to compromise with the world, and eventually, you die. And so maybe that's what happened. We don't exactly know, but any any of those things are possible. So what does Jesus tell this church to do? He says, wake up, watch out, strengthen what remains. Now, the people of Sardis knew the history of the city, and these words would have resonated with them. What I mean by that is this. I told you it was they had this mountain fortress. This is a, a current picture, a picture from the current day. Up on top of that mountain that I showed you was off in the distance. This was, uh, would have been a, a fort or a citadel of some sorts where all the people would run to whenever they were under attack. And it was, could easily be defended. Like no army could come against this. They, it was absolutely impregnable. And so um, they would stand up there and uh, armies attack. This happened in 539 BC. Cyrus the Great attacks the city of Sardis, he can't defeat them. Like, he can't figure out how to defeat them. Well, one evening, some Persian soldiers are walking around the mountain trying to figure this out. And the story goes that a sentry from Sardis dropped his helmet. He was near the the, the wall, dropped his helmet, and it fell down the mountain. It fell all the way down the mountain. So he didn't want to get in trouble. So he climbed down the mountain, right, got his helmet, and climbed back up, because apparently there would have been some sort of, I'll call it, secret passageway, like a way to scale this mountain that was not visible other than this, but they knew it. The Persians saw it. These soldiers climbed up this way, crawled over the wall. Again, no one's even watching the wall. No one's even paying attention to this. They climb over the wall, walk over, open the gates, and the Persian army walks right in without even firing a shot, essentially. And so here it was, the city was taken over without necessarily even a battle because people were not doing their job, they were complacent, and they were asleep at the wheel. And so the enemy was able to attack and defeat the city. That happened in 539 BC. Guess what? It happened again 300 years later. Same exact thing happened. I don't know about the whole helmet falling thing. But again, someone climbed the wall. Nobody was watching the wall. Nobody was guarding. Nobody was on guard duty. It was wide open. Everybody was sleeping. They climb in, climb over the wall. <clears throat> open the gates of the city. So here's another picture of up there on top of the mountain. That's there to this day. So what is it that we can glean from this, right? What can we learn here today, 2023? What can we learn from this? Well, I think clearly we under, need to all understand is that um, uh, to some degree, all of us are vulnerable, right? The enemy, he's a sly guy. And he wants to destroy anything that's good and of God right? So he wants to destroy people. He wants to destroy churches. He wants to destroy families. He wants to bring destruction on everything that's good. And so he's sly and he's evil. And the Bible says he's a a prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he could devour. And so that means us. I mean, there's a lot of great things. I love this church. I love what God is doing in this church. I love the people of this church. I love all the things that God is doing. It is absolutely amazing. But you know, because God is doing all these things, guess what happens? We have a target on us, right? The enemy wants to bring destruction on this. And so he, he, he may try to destroy us as a church at some point. I don't know. But he may start by just trying to hurt us individually. And so we have to have some understanding and some humility enough to understand that all of us are vulnerable to attack. And we need to be guarded. 
I reminded of, a, as I was preparing for this, I was reminded of a couple of guys, unfortunately in the wrong direction, but one of them being Ravi Zacharias. Do you guys know that name when I say Ravi Zacharias? He was, uh, from a few years ago, he was a fantastic defender of the faith. I mean, just a stalwart. He understand truth. He was apologist. I'd listen to him on the radio every day. Some of the things, you know, it was like, okay, I can't get it. I'm, I'm just not smart enough. But he was an absolute fantastic apologist, apologist for the faith, like defending the faith, standing for truth, explaining things to people in ways that people could understand. It was fantastic. The problem was, is a little later in life, he got involved in some immorality. And it tarnished everything that he had done. And so his legacy was gone, and then he passed away. His legacy is gone. The legacy of Ravi Zacharias has now become not one of, of a tremendous defender of the faith, but one who failed. And I'm not standing here in judgment over Ravi. Don't get me wrong, man. If anything, I rem- I'm reminded that it, it's by the grace of God that I'm here today. I don't deserve to be here, but by the grace of God, I'm here. And so I hurt. I hurt for Ravi. I, I think here it was. He spent his whole life defending the faith, Right? And what happens, um, he probably turned more people off by his actions later in life than any people he brought to faith because of his defense. Because the number one reasons people don't want to come to faith in Jesus is because of the way the believers act. We talk about Jesus, but we don't live the way Jesus wants us to live. And so it turns a lot of people off. So there's that, or there's also this other guy. He's a former governor of Alabama. And uh, he, he came to politics late in life. He was a doctor for many years. Uh, he got elected to the State House of Alabama in his 60s, and he did well. And so then he ran for governor of Alabama, and he won. Late in his 60s, he won governor of Alabama. And um, by all accounts, he did a great job, first term. And so he was running for second term. He actually got elected to the second term. Um, but he had a family, a wife, four kids, eight grandkids. He was a member of First Baptist Church, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. He had been a deacon there for years. He was elected chairman of deacons for four terms, he was on the family council. He was on Youth for Christ council. I mean, the guy had a, a superb, if you would call it that, reputation for being a believer and a lover of Jesus. Took care of his family. But somewhere about year three or four of his first term, something happened. He got involved with a younger woman, a woman who's about 30 years younger than he was. She was married, had two kids. She was, they were members of First Baptist Church Tuscaloosa as well. And so here it was, they got involved in this affair, and it's a terrible thing, you know what I'm saying? Well, his wife does find out about it, she confronts him, he acts like he's going to do, you know, he's going to stop, but he ultimately doesn't. And so guess what happens? He ends up divorced, his four kids, I think they're all sons, his four sons won't talk to him. He's never met one of his grandkids. Again, I don't stand here in judgment over him, I'm not any better than him, I'm just saying what a terrible testimony, What what a way to tarnish life. I don't want that to be any of us, all right? I don't care how old we are, how young we are, all of us need to understand that we're all vulnerable and we need the grace of God in our lives and we need his strength to finish well. And so that's what I want to do. I want to talk about, I want to talk about finishing well. I want us to, to keep our eyes on the prize. This church, God says, this is the things that you can do. Yes, you're dead, but if you do these things, I'll bring you back to life, essentially, and you'll finish well. And so that's what I want us to look at today. So three keys to finishing well. The first one is this. Jesus tells them to remember what you've received and what you've heard. And so he says, think back to when the apostles preached. You heard the gospel proclaimed, right? It was good news. It saved you. Your lives were forever changed. So you heard that message. You, you Receive it. Remember it. And I would say the same for us today. Remember when you met Jesus. 
Remember when he changed your life and think back to that moment. Maybe you can't remember this specific moment, but maybe there's another moment you can think of whenever God changed your life or God did something significant. Remember those things and remember all that you've learned and all that God has taught you through the years. Remember all of the things of who you are, of, no, I should say whose you are, right? Remember, you belong to God. Also, too, come to worship, right? Y'all are here this morning. I'm glad to see that, right? But I would say come as often as you possibly can. Be here every Sunday. Come on Wednesday night. Study the Bible. We got youth stuff. We got um, kids stuff. Because um, we need to learn. We need to grow. And, and we need to encourage one another. We're not in this alone. We come together to worship. But we also come together to encourage one another. And so I would say come and worship God. And give praise to him. I think about this as a, as a pastor, as a Bible study, as a teacher, as a youth leader. We get about 30 minutes a week, right? To kind of pour into you to tell you about all the great things that God has done and all the great things God is doing and talk about his word. The other however many hours is left of the week is the world telling you something completely opposite of what the scripture says, right? The moment we walk out of this room and we get in our cars, we're going to be shoved all this kind of stuff that's absolutely contrary to the scriptures all week long. And so that's why we got to be here as often as we can taking all this in. All right, also to hold firmly, right? He says to, to keep it, hold firmly to the faith. Uh, we must follow God's commands, even when it costs us something, even when we don't feel like it, even when we don't understand, we got to walk in obedience. Because remember, um, the power of God is working in you. You're not, the, you're not in this alone. God's Spirit, He's going to empower us. He's going to help us to hold on to Him, because He's never going to let go of us. So we want to hold on to Him tightly. And finally, Jesus tells Him to repent. <clears throat> and so He says, get rid of the sin. Get the sin out. Think about the Sardis church. As I said, they didn't face any persecution. So uh, many of the people in the church of Sardis were what we call worldly Christians, or we used to use the term carnal Christians. They were living in sin while claiming to be Christians. They were going to church and playing the game, but Jesus saw the heart. And so that's just a good warning for all of us, right? To understand and to know that we need to, if we got any sin in our lives, we just need to get rid of it because I'll tell you now, if you don't know it already, sin destroys. Sin destroys everything it touches. And so I encourage us all to finish well. All right, so Jesus says, if you do these things, you'll be overcomers. And so um, we want to be overcomers as well. In the NIV, it said victor victorious. What is an overcomer? First John 5, 5 says, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So he says, those who believe in Jesus, they are the ones who will overcome. Are you with me? And so the church will overcome, the people of the church, the people of God, those who truly know Jesus, we are the ones who overcome. Here's the promises for you. The first one, it says, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. Now, there's a lot of things that we could talk about in regards to white garments, but the one, kind of one, one way I want to illustrate this today is, in those days, they were controlled by Rome, and any time Rome uh, uh, conquered a city, attacked and conquered a city, they would have a parade and everyone would be dressed in white. And so the, the general, the army, even the festive goers, the parade watchers, everyone would be dressed in white as a part of the celebration of victory. And so here it is, this picture of one of these days, Jesus is going to come back, right? And he's going to be victorious over sin and death. And he's finally going to put it away. And we're going to be there with him wearing robes of white as he declares victory. And I'll be honest with you, I, I'm looking forward to that day. Because if you're like me, I'm tired of seeing sin destroy lives. I'm tired of seeing young people destroyed by sin. I'm tired of seeing families destroyed by sin. I'm tired of seeing our communities destroyed by sin. 
Not that I'm any better than anybody else. I'm just tired of it. And I look for the day when Jesus comes back and death will be no more. It'll be a day of victory. And we'll all be clothed in white. Also, too, it says, I will never blot his name out of the book of life. So that we could spend a lot of time talking about this, but the one thing I want to focus on is in those days, in those cities, in those towns, they always kept a record. They would do a census, and so they would have a list of every person who lived in the city and the town. And so you were born, they would write your name in. Well, when you would die, or if you were convicted of a crime, they would erase your name. And so Jesus says, I will never erase your name. And so what is it that Romans tells us? We will never be separated from God, even by death. Neither height nor death. Anything will separate us from the love of God. And so we, he will never blot out our name. What, what great assurance that we have that once we belong to him, we will forever belong to him. Thank the Lord for that. And finally, he says, I will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. And it, that, it's kind of a picture of a, of a courtroom. And so Jesus will say your name and pronounce you to the Father and to the angels on that day. What a wonderful day that is going to be. I look forward to that day. Well, there's some good news about the church, and I say that because of this guy right here. His name was Melito, and he was the Bishop of Sardis. He came along in the second century, and um, so he would have been the pastor, the leader of the church, and he was definitely faithful to the Lord. And so maybe 20, 30 years, maybe not even that long, but somewhere around that time, after the writing of this letter, there is a pastor of the church of Sardis. And so we know that something great happened, right? They didn't completely die. This guy was a prolific author. Some would say that they suspect that he wrote the first commentary on the book of Revelation. Um, we don't have any, Mary, really any of his writings left, but we have all of what other contemporaries of his or some that come shortly after of some of the things he wrote. And so it sounds like the church got the message. They woke up, they repented of sins, and God breathed life back into them. That's good news, right? I like, I like, I like to hear have a good ending, right? Happy endings. I love it. And so I found out about this, and I was just like, praise God. Something else I found out, too, is there is ruins, and the ruins that are there, there's ruins of a, of a church, of a Byzantine church that was built in the fourth century. So about 300 years after this, there was a church building built in that community. And as far as they know, that church survived in that community until the Turks came in about 700 years later. And so for all we know, a church existed in Sardis. God breathed life back into that church, and that church existed for another thousand years. Isn't that great news? I love it. I love how God's so awesome. He's so gracious and kind. He breathes life into us. He calls us. He confronts us in our sin. He confronts us in our dryness and our weakness. And he says, hey, I love you. Return to me. Well, as I was preparing for this, uh, this week, I, I had a, a hymn come to mind, uh, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. You guys know this hymn, right? It's been around for a long time. Well, actually, since 1750-something around this way. So some of you old folks, you might remember before that. But anyway, um, I, just, I was just kidding. I wasn't really, I was just joking. Uh, so I'm going to get caught. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch it for that out there. Anyway, um, so uh, I love the hymn. My dad, I first heard it, my dad sang it. And uh, he, my dad was one of those guys, he played the piano and the guitar and the steel guitar and the bass. And uh, he had a recording studio in his basement. He did all his own vocals, and so he would do the, the, the main singing, and then he would do his own background and harmonies. And um, he, he had a drum machine, but he graciously allowed my, my brother or myself to play drums whenever he recorded, right? He only let me play one time. He never asked me to do it again. I don't understand why, right? So anyway, he was super talented. 
And by the way, he was blind. So if that tells you anything, he was super tired. Like, Jeff, what's your excuse? But anyway, so I remember hearing him bang this, this song out, Come Not Found of Every Blessing. It was just a, a wonderful song. But I think of this song, anytime I think about finishing well, I, I think of this song, some of it because it has to do with the lyrics. But I thought what we would do today is, if you guys don't mind, can we just sing that song together today? Do you guys mind if we do that? I'm going to play the guitar, or at least I'm going to attempt to here. And um, if you guys would just stand with me. And let's just sing this hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. I'll do my best to play it. You've got to sing loud because I don't sing that well. But um, let's just praise God today as we think about these things. All right. All right, here we go. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Dreams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it A mount of ivory Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from death. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor Daily I'm constrained to be Let thy grace, Lord, like a better Bind my wandering heart to thee Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it Prone to leave the God I love my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Let's repeat that. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Let's pray. God, you are awesome. You're amazing. We just welcome your presence into this place. How great is your name. We thank you for your mercies that are new every morning, your mercies that stream how great is your name, O oh God. We thank you for your grace, God. Oh, to grace how great a debtor I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. See the four light courts above. God, we just give you praise. And I pray, God, if there's someone here who's never met Jesus, I pray that you would bring conviction upon them, Lord, and draw them to you, that today would be the day they step out in faith and give their heart and life to Jesus. If there's someone here, God, who's been walking and wandering away, Father, help them to understand how much you love them and what a time it is to return. Father, for those who are here who love you with everything they have, I praise you for them. I praise you for what you're doing in them. God, give us strength to finish well. We want to glorify you until we breathe our last. We want to bring glory to you. 
God, may you be glorified in this time in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you've never met Jesus, I want to invite you to, to come. I'll be waiting down front. If you want to come and, and give your heart and life to Jesus, today is the day. He, God loves you very much. The problem is this thing called sin. Sin, the Bible tells us, separates, for, separates us from God. And we deserve to be separated forever. But God doesn't want people to be separated from Him. He loves people. And so that's why He sent Jesus. And so if you'll profess faith in Him, the Bible says you will be saved. You'll be forgiven of your sins. You'll receive this gift of eternal life. Maybe you're here today, and maybe it's been a while since you walked with the Lord. I'm glad you're here today. I tell you what, if you just confess some sin to God, whatever it is that's kind of drawn you away, confess to God. He will welcome you back. He'll run to you. And if you're here today, and you love Jesus, I just praise God for you. But I would say finish well, all right? So um, I'll be waiting out front. Everybody bow your head and close your eyes. And I don't want us to necessarily rush out of here. We have some time here. But I, I want us just to do some business with God this morning and just seek his face. All right, just, just talk to him today. And so I would say if you have sin in your life that needs to go, confess it right now. God will lovingly restore you. Or, or maybe you have a burden on your heart. Someone that you know is lost and you're just wanting them to come to faith in Jesus. Or maybe you have some health issues or... Or maybe you're having some financial problems. Just talk to God about it. Maybe you need some encouragement. I welcome you to come and let, let us pray over you today. This is what we do as a church family. We pray for each other. That's what we do. We pray over each other. And so when one of us are weak, the others come along. And so one day they're strong and then the rest of us are weak. And so that's what we do for each other. As a church, we pray for each other. So let's just take a moment to seek the Lord today. Maybe confess some sins. Or maybe just thank Him for this beautiful day that He gave us to come and worship. Maybe just thank God for His mercies. Streams of mercies never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Let's just take a moment to seek the Lord this morning. close us out. Dave will sing us a song as we uh, leave together today. Let's just uh, seek the Lord together this morning. Most gracious Heavenly Father, how great is your name in all of the earth. You are holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and worthy of praise. We confess our sins to you, God, and we ask for mercy this morning. We thank you for your love, your mercy, your compassion, your grace, and your kindness. We just give you praise. I thank you for all who are here. I pray a special blessing to be up over, to be upon their lives. Uh, bless them and keep them, Father. I pray for peace. I pray that we would walk in peace. I pray that we would walk in your joy. We walk in your truth. I pray for the protection, for their safety, of course. But God, I pray that you would put a burden in our heart to go and reach lost people, to, sh to reach out to them and make disciples and tell them about your love. Father, we commit ourselves to you thanking you for this opportunity you gave us to worship today. Thank you for David and his team. I pray blessings on them and that we may glorify you so that everybody in this community knows that you alone are God. We give you praise in Jesus' name.